While you're turning there, I have a question for you. Think about who is the most annoying person in your life. Who, who is that person that it's just hard for you to be around them? I think we all have somebody like that in our lives. Maybe they're just a little loud, a little obnoxious. But have you ever paused to consider that that particular person was once a baby? A baby that you probably, if you had seen it, would have been happy to hold, happy to snuggle, and there wouldn't have been anything hard about that baby to be around. Well, in the same way, I think that's kind of how our culture treats Jesus around Christmas. They see the baby in the manger, and they don't see anything dangerous. They don't see anything that's going to cause their lives to change. They don't see anything challenging about this baby in a manger. But the truth is, that even as a baby, Jesus began to divide people. Even as a baby, Jesus began to polarize people. Even as a baby, the king, the rulers, like Herod, sought to kill him and hated him for what he represented, even as others, like the wise men, came to worship Has there ever been a baby like this? Who is this man upon whom there is no middle ground? There's no way to be neutral or apathetic about this man, Jesus. That's what I want us to explore this morning as we read in Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 25, where Mary and Joseph have, have brought Jesus to the temple in order to do the ritual sacrifice for a newborn. And all of a sudden, they encounter a man there. Read with me in verse 25 of Luke chapter 2. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. Now this is the only place in the scriptures that we encounter Simeon. And it doesn't seem that there was anything special about him as far as his status. It doesn't seem that he was a priest or a religious figure. But it does seem that he was a normal man with extraordinary devotion to the Lord. And because of that extraordinary devotion, there's something very special that has been revealed to Simeon. Verse 26 And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God. Pause there for just a moment. Can you imagine the life of Simeon? Can you imagine knowing That this long-awaited Messiah, the one who had been promised to Israel for millennia, would be born in your lifetime. And that you would wait, and that you would wait, and then finally, on this day, he would have the infinite who has become an infant in his arms. 
This must have been the day that he had waited for, the moment for which his whole life revolved around to hold the Christ in his arms. And that's why he erupts in praise. That's why he can't help but sing to God and bless the Lord, saying verse 28 and verse 29, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. You see, Simeon trusted the word of the Lord. And he, when he finally saw it, rejoiced. This is not so different from us. We may have not received a word directly from the Holy Spirit or from an angel, but we have something just as true in the Word of God. That just as Jesus came into the world as a baby that Simeon was able to hold, he will return as king and our faith will be made sight. Are we living for that day? Is that the day we're waiting for? Are we trusting God's Word and living in light of that promise like Simeon did? And then he goes on to say in verse 33. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother. Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also. So that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. I want to focus on this section right here this morning. Jesus promised us that he has come to bring peace to all those with whom God is pleased. But he also promises that he's come to bring a sword. He's come to bring a sword that will make love for father, for mother, for son and daughter, look like nothing in comparison with the devotion and the love that he expects from his followers. It's impossible to encounter this Jesus without understanding the crossroads that he presents to everybody whom he meets. You know, there's neutrality in so many things. There are so many things in this world that they're neither morally positive or morally negative. When we were on the mission field in Ecuador, there were many times when people would do things differently than we do them here. Sometimes you would see somebody who was an electrician and they would have the scariest setup you can imagine, working on power lines. They would have ladders just setting up on the power line in the middle of the road just trusting that drivers would drive around them as they put their lives on the line. And I would often think to myself, now why do they do it like that? And I had to eventually tell myself, listen, it's not right, it's not wrong, it's just different. When it comes to Jesus, there's always a right or a wrong. There's always a crossroads and a decision to make when you encounter this Christ just as Simeon has promised. 
we read in Peter that amazingly, Jesus is the cornerstone, a cornerstone being the, the foundation upon which houses are built. He's the cornerstone for us who believe upon which we build our entire lives. But for those who reject him, he's become a rock of stumbling upon which their hearts will be revealed that they loved the darkness and rejected the light. We read in in the book of of John in chapter 1, could there be any greater contrast than light and darkness? There couldn't be anything more polar opposite. And that's exactly what Jesus has come to do. He's come to reveal the darkness of the human heart and to show us that He is the light of life that can bring us back to our God. It couldn't be more clear. I mean, just think about it. What are we celebrating today? We're celebrating the birth of the man who literally has divided history. He divided history and he continues to divide humanity to this day. So often we talk about unity and unity in Christ is a good thing. But unity can never be unity apart from truth. And Jesus is the way. He is the truth. And he is the life. And so our unity is based on our confession of Christ as the king. That's what we unite around. And as soon as we begin to tolerate or unite with those who have a different confession, then that is no longer true unity. Christ is the basis upon which People from every tribe, tongue, and nation become one people. It's because of Him. It's because of Him alone. Have you ever thought about the fact that even this morning, although some of these churches I'm going to describe may be closed because it's inconvenient, but have you ever thought about the fact that there are churches, Sunday after Sunday, that will bring in 20,000 people, 40,000 people, and nobody ever leaves upset? How is that possible? Every time Jesus spoke, he made somebody mad. Every time the big crowds gathered around, he said something crazy like, you got to pick up your cross and follow me. you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood, or else you're not worthy of me. And the people who came to him for healing, the people who came to him to be fed, they left disappointed. What about the rich young ruler? He claimed that he had done everything right And yet the one thing Jesus asked of him, that he would sell his possessions and follow him, he went away disappointed. So how is it that these churches can never upset anybody? Well, it's because so often they're preaching a Jesus that's culturally acceptable. You know there's different Jesuses in our culture. There's a hippie Jesus who never wants to upset anybody. He just wants to talk about peace and he wants everybody to get along and just be nice to each other that jesus doesn't make anybody mad that jesus is culturally acceptable because he's neutral he doesn't care about the way you live your life he doesn't care about the decisions you make he just wants you to be happy the culture likes that jesus the jesus of the bible is the jesus who evokes such strong emotions 
that people walk away from encounters with him either wanting to worship him or wanting to kill him. That's the Jesus that we follow. There's no neutrality. There's no lukewarmness when it comes to the Jesus of the Bible. In fact, in our study of Revelation, we read that Jesus talks to the church at Laodicea. And he makes it clear that he is not happy with those who are apathetic or lukewarm towards him. He says to the church at Laodicea, if you guys remember Dr. Warwick saying that there was a pattern in what was written to the churches. There was a blessing and then a reproof. This church gets no blessing. Only a reproof. Why? Because they're lukewarm. They don't see Jesus for who he truly is. The God of the universe worth giving up everything to follow. He says to them in verse 15 of, Romans, of Revelation chapter 3. I know your works. You are neither hot nor cold. Would it be that you were either hot or cold? So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you, buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich. And white garments so that you may clothe yourself. And the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. You know what happens to a people to individuals, and ultimately to a culture who rejects the Jesus of the Bible, they begin to have no shame. They are open with their sinfulness. Romans chapter 1 says that not only do they uh, uh, practice the things which ought not to be spoken of, but they approve of others who do likewise. Jesus covers our shame and gives us white garments of holiness that only He can give. And he goes on to say in verse 19, Those whom I love, I reprove and I discipline. Be zealous and repent. Do you guys know where the word zealous comes from? It comes from the zealots of Jesus' day. One of whom became a disciple. Simon the zealot. And you know what the zealots did? They cared so much about Israel that they would assassinate Political opponents with whom they disagreed. They were serious about what they believed. They were willing to put their lives on the line. That's what Jesus is calling us to. Be zealous. Do not be lukewarm. One of the things that being lukewarm causes causes us to do is to compartmentalize Jesus. It causes us to put Jesus in a box. And when it's time to go to church, or when it's time to talk about spiritual things, then we'll bring Jesus out of the box. But when it's time to go to work, or when it's time to go to school, or when it's time to do things that the world loves to do, we put Jesus back in the box, and we live our worldly lives over here. The Jesus of the Bible cannot be compartmentalized. He is either king, or he is your enemy. There's no middle ground. Have you ever noticed that politicians like to compartmentalize Jesus? You ever heard of politicians on the subject of abortion, for example? He'll say something like, well, I'm personally pro-life, but I don't want to force my beliefs on anybody else. 
I would love to see a politician actually try to practically play that out someday. I'd like to see a politician who just gets caught one day, arrested by the police because he's speeding in his car. They pull him over. He's got a, a lady of the night in the seat next to him. He's got cocaine in the back seat. And he comes before his constituents after he's been released on bail. And he says, I'm just living out what I promised. I don't legislate morality, so what do you care what I do in my personal life? He's compartmentalized his morals. May that not be said of us. May what we know and believe about Jesus affect everything that we do in every area of life. May we not keep Jesus away from the way that we parent our children. May he be Lord over our parenting. May we not take Jesus away from the way that we educate ourselves and our children. May he be Lord over the education of our children. May we not take Jesus away from the way we engage in civics. Let us not buy the lie that the, that the public square is neutral when it comes to religion. It is anything but. There is a state religion and it's unbelief. Jesus is king over every area of our lives, or he's not king at all. When it comes to Christmas time, I began to stop trying to buy Heather clothes because I can never get it right. It's always either the wrong size or it's not the right style. I just don't know what, what a woman is looking for when it comes to clothes, okay? Sorry, baby. So what I began to do is instead, I'll just buy accessories. Maybe an earring here, a necklace there. Because usually, if I get that wrong, it's not that big of a deal because it's not like the main thing that everybody else is going to see, right? And she usually accepts that, even if it's like, you know, an out-of-style heart necklace or something that women don't really wear. (laughs) But the accessories are not that big of a deal, right? People who follow the Jesus of this world tend to use him like an accessory. When they need a prayer, when they need a miracle, they may pray to him. But the rest of the time... He's just off to the side in a box somewhere until they need him again. The Jesus of the Bible, the Jesus that Simeon is holding in his arms, he is God-made flesh. He's the most influential person in the history of the world. He lived 2,000 years ago in a desert, in a tiny place in the Middle East, He never wrote books or ruled a nation. And yet, he's the most influential person in the history of the world. We see throughout the Gospels that he controls the weather. He heals the sick. He casts out demons. He calls men back from the dead. He will judge the living and the dead. And yet you want him to be an accessory in your life? That's not possible with this Jesus. It's all or nothing. He's the king. And here's what we need to face. He's going to be king whether we want him to be or not. A brief application. If you're an unbeliever, if you've never placed your faith in Jesus and are following him right now, If he is not the Lord of every area of your life, if you've been treating him like an accessory, please don't say, so what? 
to this sermon. Please don't say, that was pretty good, and then live your life. But instead, realize that he demands total allegiance or else. Please realize that Jesus is like gravity. He's the king, whether you believe in him or not. Have you ever heard people say, make Jesus the king of your life. Make Jesus Lord of your life. He's already the king. He's already the Lord. You just need to submit and bow the knee. You've got a chance to do that now. One of my favorite um, points in Scripture is when Jesus stands up in the temple and begins to reveal himself for the first time. And he picks up the scroll of the book of Isaiah. And he begins to read what we have as chapter 61 now. And listen to the words that he says. He says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus stops right there in the New Testament when he reads that scripture. But you know what the very next line is in Isaiah chapter 61? It says to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. It's crystal clear. We are currently in the church age when grace is available. But it's for a limited time because Jesus is coming back. And when he returns a second time, he's not coming as a humble baby in a manger. But he's coming as a conquering king to bring the vengeance of the day of the Lord. And he's giving you a chance now to bow the knee in submission or in the future when he returns to bow the knee in rebellion and to hear away from me, I never knew you. Take advantage of this time. You will find out that all of this is true. Just like if you say you don't believe in gravity, you will find out as soon as you jump that it's an objective fact whether you believed it or not. It's the exact same thing with Jesus. Listen, you already exercise faith all the time. You believe and you trust in something. Perhaps you're trusting in yourself, in your own reasoning, In your own capabilities. Perhaps you're trusting in the collective human wisdom. To try to tell you what reality is like. But you're trusting in something. I plead with you. Trust in Jesus. Cast your lot with the God man. Who knows what lies beyond the grave. Cast your lot with the one who is life. And gives life to whom he chooses. Trust in this Jesus. And believer, lest we boast, we don't believe in Jesus because we were smarter, or we were more faithful, or we were more religious. No, we owe it all to grace. John chapter 1 makes it clear as we read that the light that is rejected by so many 
has been received by those who do receive it, not because of our will, not because of our faithfulness, but as it says clearly in verse 12, all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. We've been adopted. Those of us who were by nature sons of wrath, as Ephesians chapter 2 says, have been adopted Enemies of God adopted into his family and given the inheritance of the king to rule and reign with him forever. Why has this happened? Verse 13, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The grace of God, the undeserved favor of the king has made us one with Christ. So if that's the case, please don't compartmentalize your faith. Don't pull Jesus out just when he's needed, but make sure that what he is teaching you is applied to every aspect of your life. That your Christian worldview, that lens through which you view all of reality, is dictated by what Jesus has taught and said, and it impacts everything you do. Don't take away the offensiveness of Jesus to please man. Jesus is a stone of stumbling to those who are perishing, but the cornerstone of the house for those who trust in him. The gospel in and of itself is foolishness to those who are perishing. And those of us who preach it appear foolish to all of them as well. But preach the foolishness of the cross that is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. It's our only hope. Proclaim the excellencies of His marvelous grace. And please, like Simeon, make Jesus, make His coming, Make his reigning, make his gospel the very purpose of your life for which you live. So that just like Simeon, when he finally held the Messiah in his arms, he said, I can go home, Lord. You can take your servant, for I have beheld your salvation. Live your life in such a way so that in your dying days, you can say to the Lord, take your servant, for I have served the king. And on that day when he does take you home, you will hear, well done, good and faithful servant, because Jesus was the center of your life. He was the king who you worshipped, and he changed everything for you. I pray that that would be the case for each and every one of us, not just on Christmas, but every day of the year. Let's pray.